My wife, my wife has been pregnant three times. She's been pregnant three times. Thankfully, each of the three times that she was pregnant, we lived just a few blocks from Kroger. So that at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, uh, when she would say to me, I need some potato chips. Yes, yes, ma'am. And off in the car I would go. Then I could get some potato chips. And that made sense, the potato chip runs. Um, there were other runs that made no sense at all. But I was glad to only be a few blocks away. One of the weirder ones was uh, various kinds of fruit, like kiwi or mandarin oranges. Yes, sing, boom, off I go, okay? So if you're not aware of this, by the way, if you're not aware of this, pregnancy cravings are a thing. I know this because I'm married to someone who's been pregnant several times. According to Google, the top 10 cravings last year were, in order, chocolate, pickles, and potato chips together, eggs, cheese, bacon, mm, lemons, ice cream, fruit, chili peppers, peanut butter, ends the list, this is from Google, and Jessica, one of the ladies that participated in the study with a uh, survey with Google, she says, the only craving I had was in the beginning of my pregnancy while I was still had morning sickness, easy cheese and powdered donuts. <laughs> it did not end well, she says. It did not end well. And I believe it. Now, I've never been pregnant, but I do have a sweet tooth. Okay, I do have a sweet tooth and I have a high metabolism, even though it's slowing as I get into my advanced middle age. And so if I don't eat certain times throughout the day, my hands will literally shake. Um, back when I was a children's pastor, uh, my senior pastor forbid me from fasting. Our church would do 40-day fasts and he would say, we're all fasting but you, Max, because you're gonna die. Like, <laughs> so we're not gonna kill Max and so you can't, we're gonna fast for Jesus. You, you know, just plot along. And so... Sugar, if you don't know this, sugar is a good fuel thing for you know, a quick boost of fuel and energy. And so uh, I have some pretty strong cravings for sugar from, that, from time to time. I've told this story before, but when Jenny and I, uh, when I was in graduate school and we got our first Sam's Club membership and we were so excited, it's great, we're Sam's Club members and we can buy things in bulk. We didn't have kids, but like just the idea that we could have a giant thing of salt was amazing. And so... Um, we bought a five pound bag of chocolate chips. And the very next day, Jenny came in and asked me, where are the chocolate chips? In less than 24 hours, one handful at a time, I had demolished an entire five pounds, look, five pounds of chocolate chips. And like Jessica, I will tell you, it did not end well did not end well, okay? So all of us know what it is to crave something, right? Chinese sounds pretty good right now. Mexican sounds pretty good right now. The thing is we crave more than just food. Um, I know some young women right now that are craving a serious relationship that could lead to marriage. Um, as one of them told me uh, earlier this year, Max, I've been to half a dozen weddings as a bride, bridesmaid. I am ready. I want a man at the, end of the, at the end of the day who will cuddle me and tell me I'm beautiful. Some of the married women in here might say, that's really nice, but as soon as his head hits the pillow, he's fast asleep and he snores. But like, the longing is there. The longing is there. Uh, I know people who crave attention. Um, if they post something on social media and there aren't 50 likes, 
I'm nobody. Like, doesn't anybody see me? And it's, it's almost the end of the world. Uh, I know some folks who are craving another 10, 20, or 30 grand in income. They're convinced if I just made 60 grand a year, 80 grand a year, or 100 grand a year, I'd be set, I'd be happy. I know some students. I talked to some students who, not ones here, I talked to some students who were like, you know, my parents are so lame. If I had a different set of parents and more freedom, like my life would be awesome. And they, they're convinced that if they could just have that tweak, things would be great. We all kind of long for what we don't have. My mom would always say the grass is greener on the other hill, uh, but she would put in a negative. The grass isn't always greener on the, other, on the other side of the hill. And so here's where I'm going today. God wants us to hanker after the right things. And yes, that's a, that's a word right out of the Old West, and I'll explain that in a minute, all right? God wants us to hanker after the right things. If you brought a paper Bible, yes, we're still in Exodus. Yes, still chapter 20, okay? And this is the last of the 10 commandments that Moses has brought down from the mountain for God's people. And this is what the last commandment says, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servants, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The word there, covet. You don't use this word. I don't use this word. We don't speak in King James, how didst Thanksgiving go for thee? Well, I coveted my aunt's pecan pie. You know, we just don't talk that way. And so it's a foreign word to us. And so I've been watching some Westerns of late and I think I can translate, okay? This word in Americanese is hanker. You know, like you're on a wagon train going out west and the cowboy says, I got a hankering for some beef stew. And if you're making beef stew at your wagon, guess what? He's going to have some. Even if it's the end of the barrel of his six shooter, he's going to have some beef stew because he's got a hankering for beef stew. And so hankering is kind of a word that we Americans can get our brains around. So in essence, what God is saying is, don't hanker after. Now, this means to want to the point of seeking to take away and own something that belongs to another person. So let me explain. I, let's say, for example, I said, wow, wow, Brian's got, a, Brian's got a great house. I want a house like that. Or if I said, wow, Brian's got a great wife. I'd like a wife like that. Or if I said, wow, <laughs> wow, Brian's got an amazing car. If I just had a, if I just had a car like that, <laughs> that's one thing. Now, if I said, wow, Brian's got a great house and I want that house. Or man, Brian's wife is so much better than my wife and I'm gonna do something and I'm, so that I get her. Like, so the coveting part is this, not just wanting, but also taking some steps to take what doesn't belong to you, okay? Um, as John McKay says, covetousness is a consuming desire to possess in a wrong way something that belongs to another. Again, allow me to translate. It's hankering for what ain't yours. 
it's hankering for what ain't yours, okay? And we all have these kind of hankerings. We hanker for food. We hanker for to do something useful. We hanker for friendships. We hanker for sex and intimacy. But because we're sinners and because we're corrupted from the inside out, that's how sin works, our longings and our cravings and our desires are not always godly. They're not always in our best interests. In other words, we often want the wrong things in the wrong way at the wrong time for the wrong reason. Um, This is the proverbial three bowls of ice cream at 10 o'clock at night, right? Okay, so if you're older, you know how this works. It's been a tough day. It has been a really tough day. I'm speaking from experience. Oh my goodness, there's mint Denali ice cream in the freezer. One bowl, two, two bowls, two, three bowls, two. I feel so much better now. So in that moment, what I needed was to be comforted. What I wanted was Denali ice cream. In other words, I settled for the lesser thing. My hankering was out of order. I I was hankering after the wrong thing. If you don't believe me, um, just volunteer in the nursery, okay? So I think if I explain toddlers, this will be really, really clear. (laughs) Toddlers show us how this works. They do. Toddlers show us how this works. This is what Phil Riken, who got this right, classmate of mine, he writes this. He says, nothing arouses a child's interest in a toy like seeing it in the hands of another child. So what will play out in the nursery is that Amelia will have a train and I will toddle along and I will want that train. I want Amelia's train. I don't want the 15 million toys that are on the floor. I want what Amelia has. She's playing with it and so it looks like she's having fun. And so what do I do? I take the train and now Amelia's crying and then it's like, Carnage, right? And that's how it plays out with toddlers. We grown-ups just do a grown-up version of that. We really do. We just do a grown-up version of that. So let me, let me mark the pathway out, right? It starts with we get a hankering for something that ain't ours. We have a desire, a wrong desire. We see something that we want. And then we start thinking about it. You know, it'd be really great if only, and then before we know it, it's all, like it's, it, we think about it a lot. It's dominating our thoughts and we're just convinced, man, if we just had, everything would fall into place. Like, and, and it ends with an obsession. I've got to have this. We see this play out in the life of a man in the Old Testament uh, named Ahab. Ahab was a king of Israel. Um, Ahab Uh, notices a vineyard that isn't his. Now there was a man named Naboth from Jezreel who owned a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. One day Ahab said to Naboth, since your vineyard is so convenient to my palace, I'd like to buy it and use it as a vegetable garden. Mm. I will give you a better vineyard in exchange or if you prefer, I'll pay you for it. Now, Ahab notices Naboth's vineyard. It's so convenient, it's so close, like literally from the rooftop of his palace, he can see this vineyard. And he thinks, man, if I could grow the veggies that I like there, they won't have to be hauling them in from God and taking forever and all this stuff, like literally from the rooftop, it'll be right there. This is, this is a win-win, this is what this is. And so 
he tries to buy it from Naboth. Now, even though he offers Naboth a fair price, Naboth refuses. And his refusal is grounded in this rule in Leviticus 25 where God says, hold on to your inheritance. In other words, you're not supposed to sell your family land. And so Naboth, because he wants to honor God and, and, and he wants God to be first and foremost and he wants an inheritance for his own kids, he says no to his earthly king. Well, Ahab's convenience, right? This is a convenience thing for Ahab is a matter of piety for Naboth. And, and Ahab responds really well when he doesn't get what he wants. So Ahab went home angry and sullen because of Naboth's answer, and the king went to bed with his face to the wall and refused to eat. Not like anybody we know, <laughs> right? Not like anybody we know. <laughs> okay, poor Ahab, didn't get that vineyard. No veggies close to the palace for him. Wah. Why does God love everyone, everyone else better than me? Wah. Okay, and so Naboth's in a, or Ahab's in a tough spot. Well, Ahab's wife, Jezreel, takes charge of the situation, and she figures out why he's so depressed, and she gets money and bribes two men to bear false witness against Naboth and accuse him of blasphemy. So they go to the town elders, these two men that are bribed. Well, yeah, Naboth was cursing God. And what do they do? They take Naboth outside the city and they execute him. Ding, problem solved. The vineyard's available for sale now. And so Ahab can get the vineyard that's right next to his palace and it's awesome. He can get the vegetable garden that he's been wanting. Right here in 1 Kings 21, we have coveting, hankering after something that's not yours that leads to what? What are the other commandments that get violated? Lying, stealing, and murder. So one of the things I want you to see is that the coveting commandment, the, the commandment that deals with our hearts and our desires, often when we're desiring the wrong thing, it it means that we dis, we, we're gonna break other commandments as a result of it if we just follow that wrong desire. Um, and that's how it plays out. And this story uh, from 1 Kings is telling us this. But the Lord said to Elijah, who's a prophet, go down to meet King Ahab of Israel who rules in Samaria. He'll be at Naboth's vineyard, claiming it for himself. Give him this message. This is what the Lord says. Wasn't it enough that you killed him? Must you rob him too? Because you've done this, dogs will lick your blood at the very place where they lick the blood of Naboth. Is God happy with Ahab? Let me ask this question. Is God happy with Ahab? No, that is not a happy God. <laughs> These are not happy statements. God is not pleased. And lest, lest you think, well, Max, come on, that's just Old Testament stuff, that's just law stuff. Let's look at something Jesus has to say. Um, there's a, a man who accosts Jesus and, and tries to get Jesus to intervene in his situation because his father has died and the, the estate hasn't been settled yet. And he's trying to get Jesus to kind of, as a rabbi, render a judgment so that he can get his brother to cough up the money. And Jesus says this right off the bat, beware, guard against every kind of greed. And the word greed there is the same word for covet. Beware of covetousness. Beware of hankering after what ain't yours. Life is not measured by how much you own. 
And then James, in, in his book, talk, he's talking to a group of Christians and he says this, what's causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Not only what you, not, uh, you want only what will give you pleasure. And James is saying here, it's covetousness, it's hankering after the wrong things that's causing all these quarrels and fights to break out among the early believers in this community of faith. So in light of the fact that the Ten Commandments tell us how, what it means to be human. In light of the fact that covetousness or hankering after is a heart problem on the inside, in light of what Jesus has to say, let me ask a couple of questions. And the first is simply this. What does your heart truly desire? What do you desire most? What do you desire most? Am I hankering after the right things? And then a good second question for that is, where will my desires lead me? Th these hankerings that I have, what I'm, what I'm longing for, is it gonna lead me toward God or are these things gonna lead me away from God? Where are my desires leading me? Um, so I like things to be practical. So here's the practical part, right? Okay, so in light of this 10th commandment, in light of this issue that we have in our hearts, um, I wanna suggest to all of you who are students, the chips at the Mexican restaurant are teaching us something. Here's what I mean. You're really, really hungry, you're starving, and Mexican sounds awesome. And so you go to La Hacienda, or you go to Fiesta Mexico, and you're there, and you sit at the table, and you know, you're thinking to yourself, fajitas, mmm, you know, coming to the table, sizzling, and it's got the beef or the chicken and the, and the peppers, or you're thinking tacos al pastor, you know, comfort food, uh, you know, uh, the Mexican way. And so you sit at the table, and one of the first things they do is they bring this basket or this bowl of chips. And you know, and the guy's taking the drink orders and he goes away. Hey, we need another, we need another basket, we need another bowl basket of chips. And they bring you another one. And they come back and they take your order, and you're like, oh. And you order something that's not just gonna be one plate, it's gonna be two plates. It's so much food, it's gonna take two plates to come to the table. And you know, it's, this is great. <laughs> we need, we need a little, one more basket of chips. And they come and bring the other chips. And, and then the food comes and oh, it smells so good. And it, it looks great. And halfway through you realize what? I can't, I can't eat it because I'm already full. And I'm full of chips. The chips at the Mexican restaurant are trying to teach us something. We will often settle for something lesser when we let our desires and drives uh, drive us. This is what Augustine was trying to get at in his book, The Confessions, right? Um, disordered desires, desiring the wrong things at the wrong time, the wrong way, will eventually leave you ultimately not satisfied. Desiring the right things the right way will ultimately satisfy you. 
Um, so the chips at the Mexican restaurant are trying to teach us something. The, the second thing is, instead of asking why don't I have, ask, how's come I've got two of? So um, I don't, uh, like, there's a kayak I really, really want, and every time I teach an extra class at Asbury, I think I'm gonna buy it, and then it, it goes, always goes to like kid expenses, right? But I, I have more than one kayak, I'm set. So like, for me to go, Wah, right? I, to focus on what I don't have is not good. It's better for me to focus on what I do have. And one of the great blessings of that is this year, because I've got more than two boats, like one has been living at a friend's house who's been using it to kind of get away and center himself. And it's just been lent out, and I can do that. So, right, instead of asking why you don't have something, the better question to ask is, why do I have two of and then fill in the blank. Anytime you have more than one of something, you should ask, why do I have two of this? And we all know this from being um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or being in kindergarten. If you have two of something and your friend has zero of something, what does God want you to do? Share. See, you've got this. You've got this, okay? Number three, sp uh, spend time with folks who have less than you. Um, uh, I just spent some time Friday at the jail. I'm there somewhat regularly, right? I never leave the jail thinking to myself, man, my life is horrible. I, you know, my marriage is stinks and I don't have enough money and this car is lame, a Honda. What kind of horsepower is that? <laughs> like, I never leave the jail thinking those thoughts. Ironically, I leave the jail and I'm like, man, God has been so good to me. So proximity with people who have less than you can sometimes help with this, because you know we're America and we always kind of tend to look up the food chain. So this could be the Jesmond County Food Pantry, it could be the Jesmond County Homeless Coalition, but there are places in our community right here where you can rub shoulders with folks who probably have less than you, and it can help with the heart desire things. It really can. The last thing is, know that you're more likable when you're grateful. Um, Jenny will tell you that when I'm envious, when I have a case of the wham whams, I'm not, I'm not any fun to be around. Like, you know, she's like, can I get a different Max? Ding, 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 the reboot's not working, right? So, like, gratitude, gratitude works better. Gratitude, like when you're, when you're around someone who's just like, oh, thank you so much, this is great, this is wonderful, like, Aren't you thinking, man, they're a delight. Isn't, isn't Mary a delight? She is so delightful, right? Gratitude just has that, it's like perfume. It's just, ah, it's wonderful. So just keep that in mind. Know that you're more likable when you're grateful. Paul has something very important to say, I think, in his letter about this commandment, the, the ninth commandment, or the tenth commandment, rather. Um, and he says this, at one time, I lived without understanding the law, but when I learned the command not to covet, the power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. What he's trying to say here is, commandments one through nine, God first, no other gods, don't steal, uh, don't commit adultery, Keep the Sabbath. Paul was thinking, yeah, I, I think I could, do, I, I think I got it. I think I got it. I think I could do these things. I, you know, 
And he says, it, it's this commandment that dealt with my heart that caused me to realize, oh, I desire like all kinds of things that are not cool. And I've got a problem in my heart and I can't do this on my own. I need God's help. I need God to change me from the inside out. Um, and so he's saying something very powerful. Um, I know what this is. So I'm, I'm at an age now where I can reflect a little bit about younger days in my life. When I was young, like many young people today, I wanted to be famous and somewhat wealthy. I really did. If you ask me today what I want, um, I want people to be really sorry to see me go. <laughs> when it's done, when it's my time to go, I would like it to be the case that people are like a big case of boohoo's because I lived life really well and I was generous and I was the kind of person that causes that to happen. So, what I've want, my desires have changed over time, and that's not me. That's God. Okay, and if God can do that for me, God can do so much more for you. He really can, I'm telling you. Phil Riken writes this. He says, so much of our frustration in life comes from wanting things that God has not given us. Ahab thought, if only I had Naboth's vineyard, I'd be happy. All our discontent comes from that same kind of reasoning, if only. Gang, God wants us to hanker after the right things. And Jesus makes it clear, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you.